Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast with Dr. Kim Moss. We are here to move you forward in the call of God for your life, your career, and your ministry through prophetic insight, practical teaching, and powerful conversations with influential leaders. Never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Move Forward with Dr. Kim Moss. And today we are on week number nine, if you can believe it, in our summer series, as we are studying the covenant together from the beginning, looking for the scarlet thread from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And of course, it leads always to Jesus. So I have with me Dr. Alan Hawkins, and we've been talking for the last eight weeks. You're going to want to grab a pen and a pen had, and you're going to want to have your Bible for sure. And if this is the first time you're joining us for the summer series, you're going to get a lot out of today, but I am going to encourage you to go back and listen to uh, weeks number one through eight so that you can pick up the line and that you can see the scarlet thread that has been woven through scripture from the very beginning. We're getting close to the end now. We said we would do 10 weeks. It's likely going to be 11, but that's okay. I know that you'll hang with us. So let's welcome our our resident theologian on, on Move Forward, Dr. Alan Hawkins. Good morning, Dr. Hawk. Hi, Kim. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little tired this morning. How about you? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're we're talking about that that being the same thing. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'm not tired. I'm ne I never get tired of the study. I never get tired of um, uh, pressing in to understand even more of Scripture. But uh, what I love is to weave the story as one story, the way Jesus did when he was on the Emmaus road. And he talked to them from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And uh, I, I never get weary of that. And it drove me to, to look back at the scripture and to realize that when God made covenant, he made a family. And that the expression of that family, it, it changes as we go through scripture. And we come to a seminal place uh, this in this study, as we talk about, as we move actually uh, to, to the, to the uh, people always ask me about kingdom. How do you get from covenant to kingdom? This is the hinge point where the focus shifts from covenant to kingdom, but it's, it's not a different subject, Kim. It's an, it's an unfolding of the same subject. Yes. Yes, we have talked long last week and the week before about um, Moses and coming out of Egypt. And now we've made our way through Joshua and we've come to look at the Davidic kingdom, which so many people I loved uh, last week. You talked about how um, the focus really of Jesus is that that he would be a king like David um, is a legitimate focus for sure. And it is. And and. And Jesus, David was a type of Jesus, but that, but that Moses also was a type of Jesus and that Jesus was very much a deliverer the way that Moses was. So, but um, now we're going to talk about David today. Isn't that right? Yeah. And, you know, we, we cannot fail to remember 
that when Jesus was on trial, Pilate says to him, are you a king? Yeah. And there's all that conflict, Kim, about him being him being a king. And then, of course, when he's crucified, he's crucified as this is the king of the Jews. And the protest was made that they should have put on the sign. He said he was the king of the Jews. Right. And and this is such a this is such a big thing. Uh, and, And Kim, the other thing that most people don't realize is this is where we shift in our focus because we're going to have a great clarity about the spirit coming from this study because um, the word Christ, uh, the word Messiah, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. uh, This is talking about the one with the anointing and Kim, the way you know that, that you have your King is that the King has the anointing and the anointing is not, Mm. uh, the sacred, not just the oil. We just had a king anointed uh, yeah. in England. And uh, all of that, the, the actually secret parts of that uh, celebration that aren't put in front of the public, they're, they're very much to do with the anointing for the king. And the issue is, by the way, what my prayer for King Charles is that is that when he was, anointed as king that something would have happened to him other than a symbolic and um, historic uh, tradition being passed down but that but that the spirit actually came and what we have with David is we're going to have the great manifestation of the spirit and so I just don't want to forget that from up front um, because uh, it, we're gonna we're gonna move to we're gonna move to king we're gonna move to temple we're gonna move to uh, presence of the anointing in a in a fresh way and uh, these are gonna be uh, powerful things for uh, for the people that are with us so we start yes. with First Samuel eight and a, and an interesting thing happens Samuel Kim is a judge and he's a prophet yes. And Israel is led by these judges for generations, many generations. And we read in 1 Samuel 8, all the elders of Israel gathered together and said to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, you're old and your sons do not walk. <laughs> in now, now uh, the point. Behold, you're old. <laughs> Alan, behold, you're old. There it is. Uh, that's uh, that's so funny. I'm sorry. I'm a little punchy this morning. I can't. That just. I've never. When you read that, I just thought it was funny. All right. Behold, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, yeah, especially when us, you see a face like this reading that. <laughs> it's just so blunt, you know, that the prophet came and said, "Behold, you're old." <laughs> I think that's so funny. All right. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel. And he said, when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all they say to you. And this is so powerful, Kim. 
Yeah. They have not it rejected is. you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Oof. All the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. Uh, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who that will rule over them. This is, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. This is like really big stuff. Um, yeah, it's huge. Kim, God was their king. Now yes. we're about to talk about a subject. We're about to talk about a subject that I think is badly misunderstood and badly misused by preachers. And and uh, we're, I'm gonna let it just. I'm just gonna let it unfold. But we're gonna look at this piece of it. Um, the people wanted to be like other nations, but they were not like other nations. Right. <laughs> they were not like other nations. The Lord was their king. And so they made a terrible request. My, my grandfather used to talk to me about that. And this comes to the next piece. Um, okay. My grandfather would say, son, be careful what you ask for um, because you might get it. <laughs> that's funny i just saw that on a um on a bumper sticker just a uh, day before yesterday sunday as i was leaving church and um and i and i thought that was i think that's very interesting because they're they are asking for something that they don't really understand what it's go all going to mean well see let's let's think back as we've looked at just some things they made a covenant with the Amorites. They didn't inquire of the Lord. Right. They pledged themselves uh, to a covenant with God. And then they told, then they asked God not to talk to them anymore because his presence was terrifying. But, and now, and now they, they come and they say, we would really like to have a king. So, Israel keeps asking God for the wrong things or keeps doing things without, without seeking the Lord. Mm. And this is here for our admonition. Yeah. Um, Kim, I have to admit, there's been a few times in my life where I've made just terrible decisions uh, for my own life and family. And, yeah. and when I admit it, what I was doing was I was, I was going inside myself and I was acting on what I thought was wise rather than really knowing that I had sought the Lord. And this has gotten me in a lot of trouble over the years. And I think we, we should admit it. Now, look, the Lord is merciful, even like he is with Israel. Yeah. But he, he really is inviting us into a relationship. And he, and he does talk to us. Yeah. I think the most dramatic example that I can think of in our lives. Gail and I were on a vacation, um, one, of the, one of the longest vacations we ever took, but we were dealing with a problem that was troubling us very much about uh, our church. And I did a thing that shocked Gail. I told her on vacation, I said, I'm going to go in the other bedroom and I'm going to sleep and God's going to give me a dream and so I can solve this problem. And and uh, I can't I can't go on like this anymore. And 
It was surprised, but I went to bed and I had three dreams in succession. And I woke up and I went, oh, oh, I know what to do. But then, Kim, I was so troubled. I'm like, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> and yeah. I went back to sleep and I had a clarifying dream. Oh. The next morning, I woke up and I told Gail what I had dreamed. And it was so clear to us the decision we need to make in the Lord. And we averted a catastrophe that was in mm. front of us. Now, you would think that somebody who has an encounter like that would go, that's the way to live. I need to live that way. But no. <laughs> <laughs> I still yep. do it. You know, I still do yep. it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. let's seek the Lord, folks. And in this seek case, God said, go tell them. Go tell them what's going to happen. I've got this list of things from 1 Samuel 8. He's going to draft your sons. He's going to conscript them into government service. He's going to force your daughters to serve him. He's going to take your lands. He's going to require a tithe. He's, of your, uh, he's going to take a tithe of your animals and your servants. He's going to make you into slaves. And you will cry out to God for relief, and he will not listen. That's all the things that God said would happen. If Saul the God even told them this is what's going to happen. He said, "They said, tell the Lord we want a king." He said, "Sure, but tell them this is what it'll cost them." And they said, "Yeah, that's what we want." <laughs> oh my gosh! You know, and we we always we always look at these scriptures and and this people, you know, and we say, "How could they do that? We would never do that." But we do exactly that. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, you know. No. We're, we're sort of doing that now. <laughs> but God really will talk to you. Yeah, he will. And then there was this other thing that happened. So 1 Samuel 9, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was, uh, was Kish, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. And there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he from the shoulder upward. He was taller than any of the people. And I just put this little note of what tribe was to be the royal tribe. So Judah. So, so they asked for a king. They had a prophecy. Now, look, here, here's one of the things that's interesting, Kim. You and I have their books of prophecy. Yes. And reality is that as these things were unfolding, the people were not as clear on these things. And it's, it's as clear as day to us that, that Judah was to be the tribe of the king. And yeah. here they go for a Benjaminite and immediately should have known, well, that's not God's, that's not God's call. And so they, they reject God's God as king. And then they get a king. Let me describe it this way after their own heart. Oh, Yes. They got a king just like them, and that's when uh, that, that's when this this word comes up in First Samuel thirteen about uh, the man after God's heart. I'm, I'm advancing it a little bit, and and we'll back up and 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 come back over some of this territory. Um, okay. And Samuel said to Saul, "This is First Samuel thirteen thirteen. You've done foolishly. So Samuel became king and he'd done some dumb things. You've not kept the command of the Lord, your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. 
But now your kingdom shall not continue, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord commanded him to be prince over the people, because you have not kept the, the Lord, what the Lord commanded you. All right. Mm -hmm. So we went all the way. I just took you all the way from the choice of the king uh, to the rejection of the king. Now I'm going to end up backing up some, but I just, this phrase is always in people's mind, a man after God's own heart. Yes. All right. Saul is the man after Saul's heart. And, and, uh, and so when we, when we find out, that what, what God actually wants, that's God's desire. So they gave us their desire. And then in 13, God had given them his desire. But now we're just going to back up and go to chapter 8. Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, the hand of the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today... You have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. This is pretty chilling. You know how this happened is that yeah. is that God actually says, I'm going to give you what you want. But what you've done is you've rejected me. A um, couple words that'll help us all. Let's back up to Samuel's rejection. Um, I would say that uh, there's probably a few things that are more powerful um, in controlling ministers than rejection. Yeah. And and Kim, we see other people ascend, and we go straight to the rejection card. Yeah. And we're we're very controlled by it. And God's really not that interested in what we think about it because um, <laughs> he's really not. I mean, I mean I've, yeah. after, now that I've now that I've given my church up, I'm like, oh, I'm not that important. The church is going on. God's going on. God's getting his work done. And, right. Uh, you know, you, you really weren't all that. <laughs> right. And, and uh, it, that's not said in a, in a self-deprecating way. That's just said, said in a realization that this thing is really about the Lord. And Samuel, that great prophet, even he had to learn that this thing was really about the Lord. And um, the people have to learn it too. And so they're going to go through a big mess. So let's go ahead. <laughs> All they're, right. They're, they're going to put themselves in, in something of a mess along the way. I'm back to Samuel 13. Uh, I want to come back to this passage. And Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord, which he commanded you. For the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Now, I read that passage a minute ago, but I bring us back to it because, frankly, it's astonishing. Yeah. It's astonishing. This is a passage that shows us a lot about God's foreknowledge. And a lot about his generosity. Yeah. Because, you know, I just got through saying there's no way Saul could be king. He was a Benjaminite. He wasn't from yeah. Judah. But here this passage says that, that um, 
this passage plainly says that if he had done right, God would have made him king forever. And, and that's clearly not going to happen. Um, but that's now your kings will not continue, for the Lord has sought out a man after his heart, which is the subject that we have to turn to. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead, Kim. Yep. You were going to ask me something. Oh, I was. Yes, I was. I was thinking about how you and I have talked so many times about uh, the difference between Arminianism and open theism, which for the people that those are theological concepts regarding um, our free will and God's sovereignty. It brings into question all of those different things. But here we have, you know, as you said, God's generosity and his and his willingness to partner seems seems to me partner with his people they wanted this one you know and he and he's not from judah he's a benjaminite uh benjamin yes anyway and uh and and he says that he would have established his kingdom your kingdom over israel forever it would have established saul's kingdom and you know i think about how god is he is sovereign enough. He and like you said, his foreknowledge, he knows enough about what's coming, how he's going to work out at his agenda, that he could work these things together still and still fulfill his uh, his mission or his agenda, his will uh, for what he desires to bring about. Yeah, the, this, the mysteries of God on this are phenomenal, because, again, I read this passage um as I, over the years, as I'm doing this study and I go, that couldn't be, <laughs> but, but there it is. And then, you know, Kim, uh, there's a lot of honest questions about the Bible. People want to know, did, did God, does God micromanage everything? And I think the obvious answer yeah. is no. I, th no. I think we want to say yes, but I think the obvious answer is no. And, yeah. But, you know, for example, um, did God will from the foundations of the earth and his intentional will that that the line of Jesus would go through an adulterous relationship? <laughs> I mean, I don't think so. <laughs> and, right. yet, and yet with David, God works right within that, that thing that David yeah. did. And God says, yeah. well, I'll just this is this is my plan. I'm going to keep working my plan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and which is such a comfort really i mean that should be a comfort to all of us knowing that you know we are we are human not only in our human experience are we going to experience suffering and events that we could not cannot control um that happen that leave us grieving and suffering and sorrowing um but we are going to experience times when we, as you, as you, um, you know, very generously and authentically a few minutes ago talked about, you know, making, making decisions without seeking the Lord. We all, we all do that. We all have moments when we do that. We all have times when we're like Sarah and, and Abraham and we try to make things come to pass because it seems like it's taking way too long and, and it's not going to happen unless we do something, you know, and, and we all also fall short in sin. I mean, this is, this is the way of, the, of the human and, um, and, and yet, and yet God, you know, and yet he, yeah. 
works all things together for our good. I mean, that he really does. He really does. If we will remain with him and steadfast and faithful, which means, um, as you have said all along, you know, if we just continue to respond to him and to his working in our lives. Let me, um, I think you advanced the slides. I think I'm going to advance this a couple of slides because uh, for, yeah, go past that and go past that. Let's just, yeah, start here. Because okay. I want to, I want to push us uh, to the, to the David issue. Um, All right. Kim, one of the things about Saul, since we're, we're, talking about his relationship with God is sometimes when I'm teaching this, I ask people, would you like to have Saul's anointing or David's anointing? And I think you probably yeah. know the response to this um, yeah. because people in general will say, well, David's of course. And right. the truth is it was the same anointing. <laughs> That's really it, was, good. it was the same anointing. Yeah. And, and and so again, we're back to the human choice thing. Uh, so day, so Saul, I mean, Kim, there's a wonderful teaching in there about Saul was going to receive an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and he was going to be a different man. He was going to be a different man, right? And, and it happened to him, and he briefly was a different man. Yeah, but Saul was about Saul. By the way, um, you know, uh, I won't, I don't think I have this in the notes, but all these thoughts are coming to me. Yeah. You know, uh, there comes a time when David has the anointing, as we're about to see, and then Saul is, you know, enraged and wants to kill him. Yeah. And, and so Saul sends, he sends uh, emissaries to where David is at a prophetic meeting, but they failed to do the job. And he sends a second one, they failed to do the job. And he goes himself a third time. And he shows up in the prophetic meeting, Kim, and the Spirit of God falls on Saul. <laughs> and Saul falls to the ground, and he prophesies. And Saul is yes. now among the prophets. Now, here's, here's the thing that I think people should note. You, know, you and I have been in all kinds of charismatic meetings where yes. the spirit of God comes upon people and that people act crazy and, and lots of falling out. People fall down. Power of God comes on them. They can't stand, which I love to say, you know, people say, why are people falling? And I said, like, I love to say, well, cause they can't stand. <laughs> <laughs> right. And people say, well, then other people say, well, I don't mind if they fall as long as they get up different. Now, right. Kim, Saul didn't get up different. Oh. <laughs> yeah. He didn't, get, he up didn't get up different. And so I always say, no, 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 no. You, you don't understand. Even these amazing encounters don't predetermine the outcome. The, mm. What they do is grant an opportunity for someone to partner with God. And, yes. and, and steward what they've experienced. So I'm just going to say uh, there is no indication. You cannot tell if a meeting is authentic by how people get up. You can't tell. Uh, by how people get up or how people fall down? By the, well, they fall down. 
by the if people get up and they're not different, that yes. doesn't tell you as much as you think it does. It tells you about those people. It doesn't tell you so much about the power of God. Now, I'll say this. If you have a meeting and no one gets up different, then you have a concern. But I'm going to tell you that when people encounter the power of God, they respond differently. And we're about to see how to respond when the Spirit of God falls on you. So in 1 Samuel 16, um, we, we, we read about Samuel going uh, to Bethlehem. And we're, we're, we know that Samuel is, he wants to get his horn of oil, but he's scared to death of Saul. Mm. And, you know, by this time, David has slain Goliath and has gotten some renown. And Samuel is going to anoint David. I think I'm ahead of myself. I think I actually did get ahead of myself, but 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 I'll, let me just. Samuel's going to anoint David, yeah, and he he's afraid, and God encourages him. I'm telling you to go, so you got to go, and he does go, and he anoints David, and we know this story. Then Samuel said to Jesse, "Are all your sons here?" And he said, "There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep." And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and he was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brother. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from Ooh. that day. That's beautiful. Talk to me like about how that lasts. How does that yeah, language hit you? It reminds me of Pentecost. And I, it does, and I you know, the mighty rushing wind. But I'm the way I misspoke. He, he doesn't slay Goliath before this. He slays Goliath just after this. I want to get that right. Yeah. Uh, for, yeah. for our hearers. But go back to that. Go back to that. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Is, you said it's like the day of Pentecost. Yes. Oh, my goodness. And I want people to understand that. So the mighty rushing wind on the day of Pentecost, this is this is the preamble to it. Sometimes when I'm teaching on it and I have a microphone, I'll blow into the microphone and all the people will you know, jump out of their skin. Um, <laughs> Kim, the, the spirit of God uh, came upon him powerfully. Now, yes. now watch this. Um, and you, yeah, you can go on. Go ahead. I'm going slow and I'm, I'm going to have to go faster to get through this, but uh, <laughs> I actually I'm having a good time. Yeah, even, yeah. even though I miss because David's it's after the spirit comes on him that he slays Goliath. Um, but the reason Kim, the reason that the Messiah is the anointed one is because the King was the anointed one. And, yeah. and because this spirit rushed on David and David, uh, David then stewards his walk in the spirit throughout his life. And um, Kim, the judges had the spirit come upon them. It wasn't, this yes. didn't begin with kings. The judges had it as well. We read it with Samuel. I mean, sorry, with um, uh, Samson, because Samson didn't steward it very well either. But, but man, he had mighty encounters with the Holy Spirit. And yeah. 
When I began to read about David and his encounters of the Holy Spirit and then everything about the Spirit after that, that's that's the stuff that made my heart burn and, and made me want to say, wait a minute, you're saying that God took what he gave to kings and leaders when he, and, he, and he poured that out on all flesh? That's what he did? Mm-hmm. It's astonishing. Mm-hmm. So here we, we, we come to... Um, we come to just a quick survey. David slays Goliath. Uh, David and Jonathan make a covenant. So the son of Saul, Jonathan, makes a covenant with David. And, um, and then uh, David also marries Michael, the, uh, the daughter of Saul. And uh, David is given a, the rope. Uh, David and Jonathan ex- exchange robes and swords. That is a powerful covenant. Um mm. When you make a covenant like that, you're saying, as it goes with you, it goes with me. I am yeah. you and you are me. And I mean, they made a, they made a mighty a covenant with one another. And then, and then Jonathan has to spend the rest of his life threading the needle of his relationship to his father and his relationship to his covenant brother. Uh, yeah. Jonathan is, is a wonderful illustration of self-denial. Um, yeah. In, in the in the Old Testament, and then the stuff where David flees from Saul and uh, is terribly afraid of him, and um, has opportunities to kill him and doesn't kill him, and all the all the stuff that people do to teach badly about <laughs> about don't lay a hand uh, on God's anointed anointed. Uh, <laughs> Speak about that for just a minute, because you know what? It, the chances are that many of our listeners have been have had that line used against them when they have attempted to confront a leader regarding their bad behavior. Uh, David didn't kill Saul when he had a chance. And he didn't do it because he'd been anointed as the king. And he himself, and they, and and because uh, Saul had been anointed as king, and David didn't have to kill Saul to cause the anointing to come to full effect. And so David excused that opportunity. Now, <laughs> leaders today, they said they're the anointed. And yeah. And frankly, if you're a leader, you should be anointed. And I hope hope you are anointed. But to say that anyone who criticizes you or corrects you or opposes you is touching God's anointed is so misplaced, so arrogant, such a misunderstanding of scripture that I don't know if you can be helped. (laughs) And, and, And if you're anointed, God is your defender. Mm-hmm. And and if you're anointed, you must listen to critical voices. You have to encounter oppositional forces. You have and, and the way you deal with it is not by manipulation. The way you deal with it is by proper communication and confrontation. Uh, you probably have some insights on that as well, Kim. Well, I was just thinking about how the difference between Saul and David when um, when they encountered opposition and, you know, Saul 
he was he would have been the one to said you know you're not supposed to touch the anointed i mean that that phrase came from david who restrained himself from harming another leader you know even though that leader was under some kind of judgment from god was uh being uh was being uh not not corrected by God and eventually would be completely removed by God, yes. you know? And, um, and so you're using that phrase and it completely at, taking it out of its context to defend yourself when this phrase didn't come from Saul, who, who was the anointed that David was not going to touch and David wasn't going to touch him um, because he wasn't going to put his hand to something God was doing. You know, he was going to allow God to do that. And, um, and God did do that, you know, then David, when he was opposed by his own son, you know, later on in the story and David li didn't live a perfect life. And I love what you said. I think it was last week, maybe the week before that righteousness isn't about living a spotless life. It's about being in real intimate relationship with God, you know, and, he, and David did li li live righteously according to that description, you know. And when he was opposed by his own son, he didn't retaliate in the kind of way that um, th that would harm actually his son. He wanted his son to be spared. He wanted to give his son opportunity to... Um, to come out of his own uh, selfish ambition that would even cause him to come against his own father for what, and, and, you know, and recognizing that David had not been such a great father after all, you know, but so to use those, that kind of terminology, uh, touch not the anointed, as you said, I think it's, it's really arrogant, very prideful, and uh, and it, it's self self protecting in a way that um, that Jesus doesn't do, you know. No. Jesus is our greatest model. So I I just I just think that's a I think it's a sick way to uh, defend yourself and and st stay on top in your position and deflect all all uh, sometimes helpful critique of your leadership. Yeah, yeah and um, it's, I'm, I'm intrigued that you brought up the the David and Absalom situation yeah. and it's powerful. Um, one of my favorite Psalms is the Psalm where David is leaving Jerusalem and, mm -hmm. um, and David says, I laid down and slept for the Lord was with me and the Lord's strength. Yeah. And, uh, and in that case also the Lord delivered him. Let's look at David as King. Uh, okay. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm going to have You're to advance. So uh, the next slide. All right. So David is anointed as king of Judah, but it doesn't happen fully until 2 Samuel, until the passing of Saul and his the ultimate tragedy of him. And then we see in 2 Samuel 5, 2, and the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall mm. be prince over, it, um, over Israel. This is an important little note. Number one, Kim David was a shepherd. Yeah. And his training was as a shepherd. And from, yeah. from this point on, and even somewhat before, 
But the the issue, the image of the shepherd had always been a, a, a primary issue in Israel. And the kings of Israel after this point are always anointed to be shepherds. Shepherds. That was what they were supposed to be. And uh, this is why, uh, well, we'll come to it in Ezekiel, I think, when when Ezekiel has a diatribe against the shepherds of Israel. It's not, yeah. and people sometimes throw that at their pastors. And, <laughs> and uh, that's misplaced there as well, because uh, what it's about is, is about the kings and about the kings not acting as shepherds. And so yeah. here it was that the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. And all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a, a covenant with him at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed King uh, David king over Israel. And David was 30 when he began to reign. He reigned 40 years. Now, wow. so we come to that, and then we come to the issue of the, the throne of God being found and taken to Jerusalem and, and then of David getting rest. But let's look at the next slide and let's contrast David and Saul. Yeah. So um, the Ark of the Covenant, Kim, was the holiest. Um, the, it was the holiest thing Israel had. The Ark of the Covenant is also known as the throne of God. And it contained the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, and a, and a, and a golden pot of manna. And that Ark of the Covenant um, was, of course, in the tabernacle. And, and in battle, the Ark got displaced, and it was completely neglected by Saul. Mm -hmm. Well, David becomes king, and he says, where's the Ark of the Lord? Now, 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 here's where I want to say, David is called a man after God's heart. But what does that actually mean? Let's yeah. go to the next slide because I, I want to unpack that just a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. This is one of those things. Everybody, you remember that David, so, so David becomes king and he does the two things. He, he, he causes Israel to have peace on all sides. And then he is ready to um, make Jerusalem the place of God's abiding. That's the law of the sanctuary. So David is fulfilling the law of the sanctuary. But um, when they go to get the ark, you know, they have that terrible uh, mishap because they yes. didn't follow the instructions. And then they have to do it again. And then, mm. and then they, they get the ark of the covenant and they, they, they actually have a procession uh, where they, they bring the ark of the covenant in, into the into the city and they're they're slaying sacrifices along the way and the ark is being carried by the priests and then we read this passage and it says and David danced before the Lord with all his might now yeah. uh, and David was wearing a linen ephod so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the horn as the ark of the Lord came into the city and Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Mm -hmm. Now, 
I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna weave this together. Let's look at the next slide and see if this will help me. I'm, I'm, I may okay. use I may not. Oh, I'm sorry. It's it's a little it's it's a little out of out of whack. Um, it's okay. Let's let's lay it aside. I want to I want to be sure not. I don't want any distraction. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, I think the next slide will help me find. Okay. So Kim. Yes. Remember when? Remember when? Um, when we started this thing, God says they haven't rejected you; they've rejected me. Yeah, that's right. And so God was the king, and so it makes Saul the king. And what Saul never does was acknowledge God as the king. Mm. So when we say. God sought a man after his heart. Well, God's heart was to be the king over Israel. So mm. a man who had, Dave, who had God's heart would be a man who knew that God was still the king over Israel. And mm. this, is, this is what God sought. And so people will sometimes say, well, they'll refer to David's piety as the evidence that he was a man after God's heart. And I would say, well, that's, that's, it's true, but it's not what's being talked about there. What's being talked about there is that, that what David does next is the most phenomenal thing ever. Though he was in the form of a king, he did not regard his equality with kingship as a thing to be grasped. <laughs> but made himself of no reputation yeah. and, and being found in the form of a servant. So David takes off the kingly robe and he wears the robe of, a, of the linen ephod of a priest. Yeah. Um, some, sometimes people say he danced naked before the Lord. And I say, no, that's what he was accused of doing. That's yeah. that's your partnership with Michael. That's not that's not what David did. What David did was humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. Mm -hmm. And and he exalted the Lord God Almighty as God. So mm -hmm. this is the biggest picture of Jesus you could possibly see. As I know you heard it when I was when I was yes. expressing it. So yes, David, Hebrews, again. Well, and, and also Philippians chapter two. Yes. Um, where though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, himself of no reputation and being found in the uh, fashion of a man, he humbled himself even unto death. So yeah, that's Jesus would do. This is, this is the the father, the, the human father of Jesus, King David. Yeah. So King David take he, he he dances and he writes a psalm. Psalm 24 was written for the coronation. Yeah. I have always pictured this parade of the Ark of the Covenant rising up into Jerusalem, up that mount. And yeah. David dancing and the priest sacrificing and antiphonal choirs on the alternate sides of the mountain. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, 
the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the sea and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who, of those who seek the face of God, Selah. Um, go ahead on, pass that. Okay. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory, wrote David? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory might come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And so, as I write here, David gives God what God wants and proclaims that God alone is the King. Mm. And this is what makes David a man after God's heart, because David gives God what's in God's heart. He gives him the acknowledgement of kingship, and he establishes before the whole nation that he, David, is not truly their king, but the Lord is their king. Mm. This is phenomenal beyond all imagination. Um, we, we, we don't grasp this. And... Um, and David returns to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David. How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of the servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord, and I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Ooh. Yeah, it's chilling. Yeah. It's chilling. God, God refused to partner with the spirit that was upon um, Michael in the same way that, that he ultimately refused to partner with the spirit that was, was dominating uh, Saul, which we know was an evil spirit rather than was the Holy spirit. How, how are we doing for time? Are we, are we pressed? We are at, yeah, we have 15 minutes. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to advance this pretty quickly. Let's go to, Let's go to 2 Samuel 7. Okay. Um, this is when uh, David is, is it um, now, so now he's done this mighty thing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to close a window. Give me just a second. <laughs> All right. That's fine. The sun rose and was shining on my face and blinding me. <laughs> um, so, so David now, he's consolidated the kingdom. 
He's brought the Ark of the Covenant in. He set up the um, he set up the the tabernacle. He's he's having a good life, and yeah. he said the king said to Nathan the prophet, "See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the Ark of God dwells in a tent." <laughs> I love this because this is fascinating here. Yes. Nathan said to the king, go do all this in your heart for the Lord is with you. Now, now, Kim, that means that yeah. Nathan presumptuously prophesied. Mm. We know that because what happens next, that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Yeah. Go tell my servant, David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I uh, brought up the people from Israel, uh, of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving in a tent from my dwelling in all the places where I've moved all the people of Israel. Uh, did I speak a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? This is an interesting thing, um, Kim, because God corrects Nathan. Yeah. That whole idea about if a prophet makes a mistake or prophesy, prophesies falsely, a false prophet is not a prophet who makes a mistake. A false prophet is someone who prophesies deceitfully. And there's a big difference. Yes. yes. And, and people need to get over it. You, prophetic, prophetic mistakes are not uncommon. They're common. But prophetic manipulation is what God condemns. That's right. And that's right. And here just a mistake made. And God did what God does. He corrected him. He yeah. says, and, and David does not build the Lord of house. And so we yeah. come to what, what David receives, which is fantastic. Now, therefore, yeah. thus you shall say to my servant, David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture to following sheep that you should be a prince over my people. And I've been you with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name. There's that name thing. There's that like thing. The, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and shall be no disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From that time forward, I, um, I appointed judges over my people, Israel. Keep going. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Mm -hmm. I like this, Kim, because uh, several times in Scripture, the, the play on words is used. Yes. Um, the play on words is used when we, we talk about... Um, uh, the, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And so the seed of the woman is actually physical seed and the seed of the serpent is actually um, the seed that hearkens into the, the voice. And here house is used the same way. We're, when we're talking about a house and, and the Lord here says, well, the Lord will make you a house. He's not talking about building him a house. He's talking about building David into a family yeah. That will that will be the house of Israel. The yeah. Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up from your offspring after you 
who shall come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom and he will build a house for my name. And I will yep. establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be a father to him. He'll be a son to me. So this is, Beautiful. this is, this is God covenanting with David. This is the covenant. And so now we know that we are, we are in the tribe of Judah, but we're in the house of David. This is, mm. this is where God is going to do his work. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He says, I'm, mm. he says, I will raise up from your own body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. Now, people get thrown yeah. off at the next part when it says if he commits iniquity, I'll discipline him with a rod of men the stripes of the son of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul. So this, this actually explains itself if you go this way, because it goes like this, Kim. God, when Saul sinned, yeah. God removed, God removed the, the um, anointing from him. Yeah. It, God is saying to David, I'm so committed to you that when you sin and when anybody in your line sins, I'm going to correct them but I'm never going to leave them. I'm going to keep my steadfast love, my covenant love, my chesed, as it says in the Hebrew. I'm going to keep that with you forever. This is, this is, this is the promise that changes everything. This is the promise that um, uh, David can, can never be the same again. Let's look at it. Let's unpack it with the next slide. He says, I'm going to make you a great name. I'm going to build you a great house. I'm going to establish a great kingdom. And I'm going to be a great father. I love that. So, <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. So, so David's going to have a great name. He's going to be like the greatest man on earth. He's going to have a great house. The Lord is going to build a house. You might build a temple, but I'm going to build you a house. Now, Kim, we're always wanting to build a house for God to live in. And God is always mm. wanting to make his people into a house that he, God, can dwell in. Well, I remember, do you remember the very first time that I ever met Craig Keener, Dr. Craig Keener? Scholar, brilliant guy, lovely, lovely person, just a lovely man. And, but he came and he spoke to us as a doctoral cohort. And he talked about that passage of scripture where Jesus says, I'll go away. And I'm many, there are many mount, mansions in God's house. And he said that so many times we have interpreted that in many, many ways, but that really the, the mansions or the rooms in the house, the houses, it's us. We are the house of God. So it's exactly what you're saying right there. And, and Jesus says, I'm, he says basically the same thing. I'm going to make you a house. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you into a house. My people are going to be my house. And each of you are a house. And of course, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. So I think that's beautiful. And New Jerusalem is a habitation for God. It's not where mm -hmm. we're going to live. It's us. Yeah. It's us being built into a habitation for God. New Jerusalem, there's no temple there because it is a temple. But when wow. you look at its construction, it's the people of God 
built yeah. into it's a people of God in complete unity. And so this is God given David a promise. Like it's a mind blowing promise. Now, Kim, it is David now has to live with, and I, I know I'm out of time, but uh, allow me to, to press this yes. a, a little bit. Um, David is, David is, 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 um, has a promise now. He says, he's, he's told that there'll be the one that will sit on his throne forever. And so David has to contemplate that there's one coming forth from his body that will reign forever. This is David getting messianic revelation. This is David coming to understand that his offspring will be greater than him. This is David. And, and out of that comes the Psalms. And I'm not going to have the time to unpack the Psalms given the, given what it, uh, the time Constraint. Let's take ten. Let's take ten more minutes. Do you think? Do you need ten minutes? I would let's love to. More. I would let's love to. I, I think. It, well, then let's advance to Psalm two. Okay. Psalm two. This is so. Psalm two is the psalm that comes out of David's meditation on the promise he has from God. Why do mm -hmm. the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords uh, from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Now I say David coins a phrase, the Lord's anointed, right? Now yeah. the truth is I can, there's a place that where that's used earlier in scripture once. But David is the guy who brings it into the common currency. David is the guy who, once he uses this phrase, now the prophets are looking for the anointed. And after this, it's the, the anointed, the anointing. So all the talk about Messiah comes from this. And this mm. comes out of David's meditation on, on, the, on, on uh, the promise that he has. Kim, this is what you do. Uh, when, you, when you're a prophet and God gives you a great prophecy, go on to the next slide. When he, when he gives you a great prophecy, you meditate on it. And these yeah. Psalms, are, they are the result of his meditation. And this is the Psalm where um, he who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Wow, this is David. Wow. This is David being caught up in the promise that he's been giving. And he sees the son, this son of David's, who is suddenly, he's... He's more than the son of David. He's the one who will have the nations for his inheritance and the ends of the earth for his possession. Now, therefore, mm. be wise and warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. So this is... This is Psalm 2, and and David is having messianic revelations, and he's understanding yeah. that 
David's son is somehow God's son. Mm. Yeah. And that David's throne is somehow God's throne. So remember, Amazing. when David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, he was bringing the throne of God into Jerusalem. Not the mm. one David sat on, the one God's presence was manifest on. The one where the uncreated presence of God made itself manifest in the midst of Israel. We think for 40 years. And, and, the, and the, that experience of the tabernacle of David where they had um, ongoing praise and worship for, I, I guess, 40 years. Wow. And then Psalm 10 that, that you, you looked at real quickly. This is the other psalm, because again, David is meditating and he's going, how can this be? How can this be? How can my son sit on the throne forever? And then here's what, here's, this is David listening in on the conversation in heaven. The Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, says David, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wait a second. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is David's, let's see, this is the Lord saying to David's Lord, David's son, sit yeah. at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstools. In other words, until I make the nations your inheritance. The Lord yeah. sends forth from Zion, um, your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. This is very important, Kim. Because we're big teachers about the kingdom of God. And people will say, well, it doesn't appear that the kingdom of God is here. And the answer to that is because he rules in the midst of his enemies. Mm. So it's not obvious to our eyes. And then it says, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. And here's where that wonderful theme comes back up. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Mm. The Lord at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath, execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This poetry is, is about the king priest that we know of as our Lord Jesus. And then we, we mentioned Hebrews a couple of times. We come, we come back to that. Um, Psalm 110 is the most commonly quoted passage from the Old wow. Testament in the New. And Hebrews wow. alone quotes it five times and alludes to it 12 times. Woo. And so here he says, the Lord said to my Lord, and this is how Jesus puzzled them. Um, he puzzled them when he was on the earth and asked them, could they explain this passage? And of course, they couldn't do it. Uh, Sit at my right hand means you're a king and you're a priest forever. So he's a king priest. So this is a this is a fantastical passage, and mm -hmm. uh, and takes us to to where we want to be. Let's go all the way to the last slide so that we can. We can finish. That's Jesus it. on the throne. 
Jesus on the throne of David, Acts chapter two. So we come to the very first, we come to the very first Christian sermon. Brothers, may I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he died and was buried in his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, David, that he would set on his, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, the place of the dead, nor did his flesh seek corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are the witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, Psalm 110, and having received from the Father the promise of the Spirit, he has poured this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool. And this is the fulfillment of this passage. Mm. Okay, that's a crazy ride uh, as we as we press ourselves through David. But what, what's great about it is it brings us to the place where we see, um, where we see, Jesus so clearly. And, <laughs> and then I want to point out one thing and then I'll pray. Okay. Um, Kim, David, ultimately we all know that David fell into sin. Yes. Now, and so sometimes people will glibly say David was a man after God's heart and he committed adultery, committed murder. Those things right. are not connected. Those, those, those things are not connected. Uh, mm -hmm. But what is connected is that is that David was told that if he sinned, that God would discipline him, but he would mm -hmm. not cast him away. And, yes. and yet David did sin, and we and he, he committed that great sin. And then he prayed that prayer that's in Psalm 51. Create yeah. in me a clean heart, O God, oh, and God. renew a right spirit within me. Yes. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, I, I just say that to say, even though David had the promise, when he had the experience of sin, the guilt and shame was so great that he forgot the promise. And so he, <laughs> but he, remembers, he remembers that when Saul sinned, the spirit left him. Yes. Now, I only close with this because I want to say um, the people, you too are people that are after the heart of God. Mm -hmm. What it means to be a Christian it means to be after the heart of God. Um, it's not, it's not unique that the thing that the King had now we all have, we desire the heart of God and what we desire is for him to be King in our heart. But the thing of it is, we've done stupid things. Temptation has come and made us stupid, and we've done stupid things. And I'm just here to tell you, he's not leaving you. Don't leave him. But like David, just go back to him again and say, Lord, created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And he will. And he's not going to take his Holy Spirit from you. Amen. He's going to pour his Holy Spirit on you. 
with more abundance. And so, Lord, we ask you, hear our prayer. Draw near to us. Pour forth your Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh. Renew us this day. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you, Dr. Hawkins. So that was a great study. Well, everybody, if you're listening in or if you're watching, that's all for today. And we have, we'll be back next week with week number 10. And again, if you haven't heard the others in the series, go back to my podcast. You can find them or on YouTube, you can find them. And uh, you'll want to catch up with this whole study. What a beautiful study we had today. And coming to that place where we are people after God's own heart. So we bless you with that. Thank you, Dr. Hawk. I'll see you next week. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. Thank you for joining us for the Move Forward podcast. We would love for you to rate this podcast and share it with a friend. You can connect with Dr. Kim on social media. For those links and more, visit her website, kimmoss.com. Host Dr. Kim Moss leads Kim Moss Ministries and Women of Our Time. She is the author of Prophetic Community, The Way of the Kingdom, Facing Ziklag, and The Four Questions. You can find those books on Amazon. Remember, it is time to move forward.